Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look today at verses 17 through 20 in the Sermon on the Mount. The title of the message is Jesus is Everything. I think I have shared this story before, but it is the perfect introduction to our message today. In the late 1940s, Charles Templeton was a close friend and preaching associate with uh, Billy Graham. Uh, There you see uh, Mr. Templeton with the uh, dark coat on uh, down there, about uh, two people down in front of uh, Dr. Graham as a very young man. He effectively preached the gospel to large crowds in major arenas. However, uh, intellectual doubts began to nag him. And he questioned the truth of Scripture and the core of Christian beliefs. He finally abandoned his faith and made an unsuccessful attempt to persuade uh, Billy Graham to do the same. He felt sorry for Billy and he commented, he committed intellectual suicide by closing his mind. Templeton resigned from the ministry and became a a novelist uh, and news commentator. He also wrote a critique of the Christian faith, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Journalist Lee Strobel interviewed him for a book that he had titled, The Case for Faith. Templeton was 83 years old at this time, and he was suffering in a certain stage of Alzheimer's. He revealed some of the reasons that he had left the faith, and then he had this to say about Jesus. He was the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. He's the most important thing in my life. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say that I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. He is the most important human being who has ever existed. And if I may put it this way, I miss him. Templeton's eyes filled with tears. He wept freely, but he refused to continue with the interview. Had Templeton kept Jesus where he belonged and not reduced him to only the greatest human being who had ever lived. He would never have missed Jesus. He would never have had to miss Jesus. When we have Jesus where Jesus is supposed to be in our lives, we discover what Courtney discovered in the skit, that Jesus is everything. When we embrace this so much, of the confusing, of of that which is confusing in life is clarified when Jesus is everything. After hearing about the blessed life and and what it takes to be salt and light, which as you know, we're going to cover next week, Jesus wanted to make sure that the people were hearing, who were listening to this, were not confused about his purpose or the power as to why he came and what he wanted to do for their lives and in their lives and through their lives. And with that, we pick up with our text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I am come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes when we read the Bible or we hear a sermon, the feeling comes over us that we are so inadequate, and we are, but that we will always be inadequate and never able to live like a Christian should that we'll never be able to measure up to God's expectations. There's a little even uncertainty sometimes that goes along with that, uncertainty regarding our spiritual footing. Though we might be standing on solid ground, we're not certain that we're standing on solid ground. I don't think God intended for us to be uncertain in our Christian walk or to feel insecure in our standing with Him. God didn't give us abundant life that we might always be questioning the abundant life or or tottering back and forth as though we can't walk straight in the abundant life which he's given us. When we come to realize that every hope that we have for pleasing God or, or living for him is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ and that he is everything, we stand more solidly and walk with more assurance in this late life of faith. And to that end, I want to share with you today how that Jesus is everything. First of all, I want us to take a look from our text at his pure purpose. Verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now let's look at these two verses, but let's look at them in reverse order, if you will. First of all, let's point out the fact that Jesus understands the law. Now the law wasn't given for some exercise in futility. The the law wasn't given as a straw man to be torn down. There was a, a real purpose for the law. The law was indeed temporary, but it served a purpose and would be fulfilled in every curve and crook of the letters that formed the law. What was the real purpose of the law of Moses? Why was the Levitical law given? Was it to save Old Testament people from their sins? A lot of people think that. A lot of people think that the way that Old Testament folks got saved was by fulfilling the law by actually doing all of those individual things that, that uh, were, had been written out in the, <clears throat> the law. Was, was it to save them? What the, the law certainly regulated their lives, but the law couldn't give them life. There was nothing of the life-giving in the law. It was just the life regulations. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 3 and verse 21 says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. 
For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Now here's the reality. A right standing with God has never been by us individually fulfilling the law or anyone individually fulfilling the law. In fact, not only was it futile to fulfill the law, it was impossible to fulfill the law. No Old Testament person or personality fulfilled the law and thus went to heaven. Humanly speaking, that law was just too much. It was just impossible. What it did was serve to show our imperfections. It served to show our flaws. It served to show the dirt on our faces. It it served to show us that we would never be able to live up to the impossibility of any kind of a system of regulations like this. That's what the law did. It was a guardian, if you will, that brought Old Testament saints to the perfection of Christ for reconciliation with God. I have said this so many times, especially in our Wednesday night Bible studies, but I say it again today, that if this is Jesus Christ, and we're going to see and have already read that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, Jesus is fulfillment of every, uh, every regulation, every expectation of God the Father. If the pulpit represents Jesus the law, and, and over here represents the Old Testament saint days, and over on this side represents the day in which we live, this is the church age, or the New Testament day, then here's the way that people uh, were saved in Old Testament and during the time of Jesus and during today's time. They were not saved by living by a set of rules, although those rules were very prominent in the Levitical law. They were saved by the one they looked to, the Messiah to come, to save them from those rules. So here's what they, they would do. They would look to the Christ to come, look to the Messiah to come, and by putting their faith in the Messiah to come, they would be redeemed from their sin. Not by keeping the law, they couldn't do it, but by looking to the one who was the fulfillment of the law. Then came Jesus, and on this day of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And those people sitting there say, yes, that's what we've been looking for. We knew that we couldn't live that law, but we knew there was a Messiah, Redeemer to come, and you are him. And those who received him, received him based on the fact that he was the fulfillment of the law. Not that they could live the law themselves. They couldn't live the law. It was impossible to live the law. The purpose of the law was not to show them the way to heaven. The purpose of the law was to show them the way of their sin and how impossible it was to live the law. And so they looked to Jesus. Those in the Old Testament looked to the Messiah to come. Those in the New Testament who walked with him and talked with him looked to Jesus who was there. Then comes this day when Jesus was crucified and was buried and rose again the third day. And then Jesus ascended up to heaven. Then those of us who live in this day, and that is the day in which we live, look back on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, look back on the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, and we look to Jesus and we have eternal life.
because Jesus is everything to us. Jesus is everything in this New Testament age. And I want you to know, those who had understanding understood that Jesus was everything in the time that he lived. And I want you to know that those in the Old Testament, those that were listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11, they knew that Jesus was everything as they looked to his uh, coming and fulfillment in their lives. I'm here to tell you today that the law has never uh, fulfilled the need for salvation, that Jesus has always fulfilled the law. In Galatians 3 and verse 21, the law then contrary to the promises Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For the law had been given that, uh, uh, for the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness, for if a law, excuse me, had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Humanly speaking, it was just impossible to fulfill. Verse 24 of Galatians 3 says, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we. we might be justified by faith. The law was the guardian until Christ came. Those people again, old, during the time of, and today, all look to Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus knew the impossibility of anyone living the perfect fulfilling of the law, he also knew that it would be fulfilled completely. Jesus knew that though you could not, I could not, nor could anyone, fulfill the law. He knew the law would be fulfilled completely. Now why? Because he understood the law and Jesus fulfills the law. He is the absolute 100% fulfillment of the law. Jesus was an enigma to the Pharisees. In their eyes, he violated the law on several occasions. On the Sabbath, he, he picked corn to eat on the Sabbath day. That just went against everything that they thought they understood. He healed on the Sabbath day. That went against everything they thought they understood. He associated with people that they thought were prohibited by the tenets of the law. He ate with publicans and sinners, and and they felt like, now, if he was going to really follow the law, he wouldn't eat with those people. Yet Jesus had an understanding of the law that they didn't didn't have, and the reason is because Jesus came to fulfill the law. He, they were so concerned that he was there to overturn everything that they'd ever believed. However, the very opposite was true. Jesus said, I am not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is how anyone can fulfill God's standard, by receiving the only fulfillment of every requirement of sacrifice and living, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of every sacrifice and living. Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus did not destroy the law by fighting it, but by fulfilling it. The law is condemning but Jesus is redeeming. The title of the message today, the theme of the skit, was that Jesus is everything. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, 
by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. We certainly live for God, but not in order to be redeemed. That's not why we live for God. There is no set of rules that you can live by that will make you more pleasing to God than having Jesus Christ in your life. Any, anything that you live by, any code that you live by in honor of Jesus Christ is a code of honor, not a code of qualification. You have to live by this code in order to be qualified to be right with God. No, no. You live by whatever code that, that God puts in your heart and, the, if you will, the standards of your life in recognition and honor of the one who saved you, who changed you. When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we are redeemed. We are released from the curse of imperfection and trying to please a perfect God. I cannot please a perfect God. Now I say that, and I say it to you, and you nod your heads, and you act as though you understand, but then we go out of here and we look at those around us, us and, and our message to them is that you need to clean this up in your life and you need to clean that up in your life and you need to clean this in your life and they may very well need to clean those things but they cannot please God by the cleaning job they could do. They can only please God by receiving the one who is the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The Father is pleased with His Son, Jesus. And when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all requirement to please the Father is satisfied. It's done. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means the satisfaction for our sins. Because I am satisfied in Jesus, the Father is satisfied with me. Because Jesus is everything, the Father is satisfied with me. When the Father looks on Randy Ray, he doesn't see Randy Ray with all his flaws and all of his imperfections. He doesn't see Randy Ray with all of his issues and all of his problems and all of his quirks and all of his turns and, and twists. He looks on Randy Ray and he sees his son, Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of everything that I have to be in order to please the Father. Jesus. I guess the, the question is, have you come to that place? Have you come to the place of making Jesus Christ the fulfillment of everything? 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. I, I have to say this, and I say this with great emphasis today. The only way that anyone in the world can please God is by receiving the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only one who has ever been capable of pleasing God. I'm just not capable. Now, we talk sometimes, and I say it all the time. Now, come on, you want to please the Lord, don't you? 
And I agree with that. I think that we ought to strive to please the Lord out of a heart of gratitude. But I will tell you this, there is no basis for us pleasing God. There's no basis whatsoever of us pleasing God unless Jesus Christ has become our satisfaction for sin uh, to the Father. I can do so many things but they count for naught, but through Jesus Christ, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Whatever I might do, because Jesus is everything, if, the, uh, if I do so in love and devotion and gratitude to Jesus Christ, the Father will be pleased with what I do because the Father is pleased with His Son. It's a big thing to get a hold of that, folks. Jesus goes on with His explanation of His relationship to the law. First of all, he says, look, I want you to know that my purpose is pure. I didn't come to destroy this law that you've been reading and studying and thinking about. I didn't come to destroy, I'd say it to you like this, I didn't come to destroy good Christian living. I didn't come to destroy the good Christian life. I didn't come to destroy you trying to please God. I came to fulfill you trying to please God. His purpose was pure. And his priority, oh, Jesus' priority is absolutely perfect. Continuing on in verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Does this mean that even though we have the sacrifice of Christ covering our sin that we must still obey the law of Moses that's what that sounds like okay I know that I've got to be saved but now I must also continue on and fulfill the law of Moses is that what's being said here is that what's being implied here should we be so concerned about all of those regulations in Leviticus should that bother us I know for, for years, uh, and, and still there are those who will reach back into Old Testament law, and, and they'll tell women that they shouldn't wear certain clothing because uh, that uh, women shouldn't wear that which pertains to a man according to Levitical law. They have built great, uh, what, what you might call, standards around those things. And that's kind of become the mantra of who they are. And you really, women, you can't be right with God until you dress in a way that is different. And there's, you, you understand what I'm saying. Oddly enough, they completely overlook the very next verse that tells that it's a sin to wear mixed garments of wool and silk. And so I stand here today preaching the word of God to you in such sin. because I have on a coat that's wool and pants that are wool. I have a tie that is silk. I have on socks that I have no idea what they are, but they're staying up. (laughs) And all of that by Levitical standard puts me in sin. I'm not really making fun, although it sounds like that I am. But that, that is the ultimate illustration of straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. You can't please Jesus by 
living the law. You can't please the Father by living the law. How do we please the Father? If, if we have to live the Levitical law, then we're in really big trouble. We're not under the Old Testament covenant. We're under a new covenant. Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 and following, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything but as coming from us, but for our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We are under God's grace, not under God's law. And could I tell you this? Those Old Testament saints who had the, the insight, they had the, the uh, understanding that the Messiah to come was the fulfillment of the law, those people too were under something different than the law. The law has stayed the same. It was there then. It was there in Jesus' time. It's there today. But it never saved anyone. It was only the fulfillment of the law that saved anyone. And the fulfillment of the law was, is, and has always been Jesus Christ. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. I'm under grace today. I love to be under grace. Not that I get to go out and do just and, and run hog wild and destroy a testimony, but I can live all that I can, can find myself doing in, in an effort to please God is done through the understanding that God is already pleased with the sacrifice for my sins and that I am walking in grace. Just as Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, living for Jesus is our acceptable service. Did you get that? Because we are justified in Christ does not mean that we're insensitive to the principles of the Old Testament, especially those that are reemphasized in the New Testament, but we are not saved based on keeping those. I just might say this while I'm at it. Nine of the Ten Commandments are reinforced in the New Testament. Only the Sabbath commandment is not repeated. In fact, like all the law, it is clearly fulfilled in the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our fulfillment of the Sabbath. Hebrews 4 and verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. How do you rest from your works? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The way that I rested from my works is by trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's the way that you rest in your works. Earlier we clarified that Jesus came as a fulfillment and not a destruction of the law. Here's a pretty good example. He fulfills the need for the Sabbath rest 
by being our rest, our Sabbath. When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we rest from worry. We rest from fear and any work that we're trying to do to get to heaven. He becomes everything for us. He is our Sabbath. Do you know what I did on the Sabbath this week? Well, yeah. You came to church. No, no. That's on the first day of the week. Sunday's first day of the week. On the Sabbath, I played 18 holes of golf on the Sabbath. You did not. I did too. And do you know why? Because Saturday is not my Sabbath. It's my golf day. Jesus is my Sabbath. Jesus is my rest. And the reason that I'm here today is to celebrate my rest, who is Jesus. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't this church that started Sunday worship. It was the Jerusalem church. They got together on Sunday. Why did they get together on Sunday? Because up from the grave he arose. On Sunday, they rejoiced and they reflected and they, they respected and they honored his resurrection. Jesus is our Sabbath. You ever drive by one of these places, and I'm not being mean, but you ever drive by one of these places that has church on Saturday, but here's, here's, what, here's what that normally means. They believe they think they're going to go to hell if they don't meet on Saturday. I'm going to tell you something, and I shouldn't say this because too many people in this church take this liberty anyway. I'm not going to go to hell if I skip church on Sunday. I'm not going to. Don't, that's right. Please don't say that's right. I'm just kidding. Say it's right. It is right. It is right because our rest is in Jesus. Let me give you an illustration of how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. This right here, this might do it for you. If I have an acorn, an acorn, in Tennessee we said acorn. I guess you'd say acorn. If I have an acorn, if I have an acorn, and want to destroy it. Here's, I can do a couple of things. I can take a hammer and I can smash it. Just bam, just to smash it <coughs> right there. However, I could also plant it. I could. I could plant it and I could water it and I could see it fulfill its real purpose. It becomes an oak tree. The oak tree is not the destruction of the acorn, but the fulfillment of it. As Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the law, uh, uh, our life for Christ is a fulfillment of living the commandment. Jesus Christ destroyed the law by becoming the fulfillment of it. He became the oak tree of it. We live in a, a law of liberty, one that offers us a motivation of love and a pathway to pleasing God with our lives. James chapter 1 and verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, and perseveres, uh, being no hearer uh, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Well, we see all of that to come down to this final thing, and that is that Jesus is pure in his perspective. He says in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let's go back in our mind to the setting. Everything that these people who were there listening to Jesus, everything that they'd ever heard or known about pleasing God, they heard from the scribes and Pharisees. And now Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, well, then, quite frankly, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this had to be disturbing to them. Because what the scribes and Pharisees had taught them was that everything was based on self-righteousness. And Jesus said, nothing is based on self-righteousness. It's all based on me. I've come to be the cursed one hanging on a tree for you. Their path has been self-righteousness. They would bring a woman taken in adultery to Jesus, and they would do all of these other things. But Jesus says, none of that counted. If you're not better than what these scribes and Pharisees are, you'll not see heaven. How can I be better than the scribes and Pharisees, they thought? Jesus says, I am the fulfillment. I'm everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. When Jesus is everything in your life, when, when, when you come before the Lord and you say, I have no glory but yours. I have no hope for heaven but yours. When Jesus comes to your life, And you acknowledge, I have nothing but to acknowledge you and make you everything. Then you can please the Father. Let me close with this. There's a baseball card that's worth about $100. It's called Future Stars. As you can see, there are three players on there. One is a guy named Jeff Snyder. He's the one on the far right. Snyder played one year of professional baseball, pitched in 11 games, gave up 13 earned runs, and uh, in those 11 games. Another player, the one on the far left, maybe somebody you recognize, his name is Bobby Bonner. Bobby Bonner played four years of baseball. He only appeared in 61 games with eight uh, runs batted in, no home runs. Bobby is now a preacher, and he's actually preached right here uh, in this pulpit and uh, for us. The third face on there is the one in the middle. the, he, he played for 21 years for the Baltimore Orioles. And he appeared in 3,001 games, and he came to bat 11,551 times. He collected 3,184 hits, and 431 of them were home runs, and he batted in 1,695 runs. His name, Cal Ripken Jr. What if Bobby Barner, Bonner came back to our church and shook your hand and he said, you know, I was a baseball player. I've got a card that's worth $100. You would laugh because you know the worth of the card has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with the man in the middle. That's how it is when we come to God pointing to his righteousness. When we come and we point to our righteousness and our statistics and we say, well, is this good enough? He says, no, that's not good enough. If you want to hold your stats up to God and say, here are my stats. This is how many times I was in church. This is how much I gave. This is how much I read my Bible. This is the kind of dad I was. This is the kind of mom I was. This is the kind of teenager I was. Here are my stats. 
What do you think? He's going to say, I'm sorry. You don't measure up. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, all of his stats become yours. And your card becomes worth a whole lot more because of somebody else's stats. Jesus is everything. Is he everything to you? You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.